Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Prepare for a scare. It's the Midnight Macabre Podcast. Hello to all of my frightful followers, and thank you all for joining me once again for the penultimate very special Halloween edition of the Midnight Macabre podcast from Old Mill Lane in Bramshire, the UK's epicentre of dark deeds and insidious plots. I, as ever, am your touring torturer, Laura Lanton, and you're all very welcome for another helping of devilry from the Old Mill's past. But before we get into the evening's story, I thought I'd share a follow-up from yesterday's story with some more details straight from a local resident. I invited my accommodating host for the week, Henry Harper, round for a bite of pizza earlier this evening and asked him if he'd mind going on the record to share his thoughts on the events behind yesterday's story. Here's Henry. Liz's story is a tragic one. And one, sadly, I can't give you or your listeners any real closure on. While there is, of course, no such thing as vampires, naturally, these days we're all painfully far more aware of the real monster from this story. At the time, local folks would simply say that Old Hazel was a bit mad, mostly harmless, but one of the more eccentric characters around, Looking back with what we know now in 2020, literal 2020 hindsight, (laughs) um, we can tell that she was not a well woman. Mr. Kane, who owned the mill at the time and was a client of my family's legal firm, always included the family in all of the community events he arranged and took Hazel's occasional flights into fiction with good humour for as long as she was alive. Sadly, as we all know, 
Many conditions of the mind can be hereditary in nature, and while I don't claim to be a doctor, I think it's a fair suspicion that after the passing of her grandmother, the stress of the loss and their close relationship left Liz impressed with many similar fanciful delusions. She was seen in town very rarely after her grandmother's funeral, and we can only assume she moved away. I hope wherever she is, she's doing well and living a healthy life. Should she ever hear this and have any wish to come back, there are still so many in the community who'd welcome her with open arms, even after all these years. There's a real sense of community here, and so many families raise generation after generation close by. This type of small place tends to pull you in and then keep hold of you. They just seem to want to be a part of what we have here. Sorry, I know this is a far less attractive story than suggestions of real vampires. Even I must admit, there's a certain alluring appeal to a more supernatural solution. I certainly know which story attracts me the most. It's really quite a fascinating fantasy, isn't it? It really is. So, there, there you have it. Um, yeah, in my additional research, I also sadly found no records of actual vampires. But I did find a newspaper clipping of Hazel being cautioned for a petty assault and records of Liz as a child at the local school, but nothing beyond the pictures from the night of the Halloween party. For tonight's story, we enter the 21st century and meet Matt and Sarah, a couple who've taken it upon themselves to investigate the disappearances of several local pets. With a story reconstructed from recovered footage and local news reports by Mike Garley and performed tonight by Alexandra Elroy. The Investigation at Old Mill Lane. If you were to stand beneath the night sky and look towards the stars, you would normally be able to hear the ambient sounds of nature. But Bramshire was far from normal, and the clatter of hoofed feet that tore towards Sarah and Matt were far from natural. In fact, with its razor-sharp teeth and fire-red fur, the creature that stalked the young couple was downright otherworldly in appearance. The duo twisted round bend after bend as they tried to escape, but their pursuer was well used to hungrily stalking its prey through the narrow streets, abandoned buildings and country roads that surrounded Old Mill Lane. And unfortunately for Sarah and Matt, tonight they were its prey, and it was very hungry. Matt had never had a pet, not even as a child. It was a well-known fact that pets were unreliable creatures that were prone to dying or running away. He'd seen how upset his friends had been when their cherished family pets would go missing. He couldn't see any logical reason why he should subject himself to similar heartbreak. Cats, dogs and even horses would just disappear. But they were animals. They weren't meant to be kept. Of course they would try to escape at the first possible opportunity. That was just what they did. Or at least, that's what he thought. Until he met Sarah.
This way, Sarah shouted as she pulled Matt down a cobblestone alleyway, plunging the two of them into darkness. Quiet, she demanded as she forced him up against the wall. After what happened to the dog, she knew that if the creature caught them, they'd be as good as dead. Nothing could escape that thing. The pair met at university and quickly became inseparable. After graduating, Matt asked Sarah to move back to Bramshire with him. Sarah had often told him how eager she was to leave the big city, and Matt couldn't think of anywhere better for them to start their lives together than in his childhood town. And he probably would have been right if Sarah hadn't brought her little cat with her. Sarah didn't need to tell him twice. Matt didn't even dare breathe as he listened to the beast stalking towards them. If it turned into the alleyway, then they would be as good as dead. When Coco first went missing, Matt struggled to understand why Sarah was so upset. The cat was nearly six years old, which as far as he was concerned was good innings for a pet. As Sarah's frustration grew, Matt's lack of empathy resulted in the pair having a blazing row. Despite forcing Matt to spend a couple of nights on the couch, Sarah seemed nowhere near calm enough to have a reasonable conversation. Matt was normally a private person, but he felt he needed to get some outside perspective on their argument. His colleagues listened intently as he explained the situation. He could tell by the nods that most of them agreed with him, but not all of them. The split was a confusing one. He was either an insensitive asshole, or she was being overly emotional. The divide wasn't men versus women, young versus old, or rich versus poor. In fact, it took his office an entire afternoon before one of them finally saw what divided them so starkly. There was everyone who was born and raised in Bramshire, and then there was everyone else. Matt was concerned what a dangerous precedent this might set. If he was wrong about this, he dreaded to think what else he could be wrong about. He would never win an argument again. The story continues after a short word from our sponsors. And now, back to our nightmare in progress. A sudden movement brought him very much back into the moment. With a blaze of fire-red fur and razor-sharp teeth, the monster tore past their hiding place. They were safe for now, but they knew it would soon circle back. Their only hope was the car, and to reach that, they had to double back the way they came. Matt's stomach turned as he thought about the three of them entering the site earlier that evening. Him, Sarah, and Tracker, their new dog. After scrawling the web for leads, Matt found a group on MySpace that caught his eye. The missing pets of Mill Lane. Unlike other groups he found, this one seemed to be chock full of useful information. It was mainly frequented by those searching or in some cases mourning their missing animals. Lost dog. Rabbit hatch ripped apart. Rat blood and shit everywhere. Every post was perfectly labelled and lacked the verbose style in which most things were written on the internet. Their emotions gave them clarity. 
An array of grainy scanned Polaroid pictures showed various animal remains, signs of struggle and claw marks against stone, but never any witnesses or survivors. Using the office printer, Matt printed as much evidence as he could carry. From somewhere out of sight, the monster let out an almighty howl. Come on, Sarah shouted back to Matt as loudly as she dared. We don't have long. Luckily, the area was well lit as moonlight illuminated the old stone structure. Matt used to play in the area when he was a kid, but always in the daytime. The children had an unspoken rule that when the sun began to set, they would find somewhere else to spend their time. Listen, can you hear that? Sarah didn't reply. The fear etched on her face was answer enough. They both knew what the clatter of hoofed feet meant. Despite having avoided the area at night when he was a kid, this wasn't Matt's first after-hours visit to the old mill. Following up on a lead, Matt had made the journey alone one night after work to examine what was described in the group as Big Freaky Claw Print. Matt chuckled to himself about how apt that title was as he poured the plaster into the print. It was amazing what you could buy from your local Woolworths. After it set, he took it with the rest of the evidence he'd compiled to the local police station. Looks like more of an animal control issue to me, sir, the policeman said as he did the bare minimum to help. There's no rules against wild animals, the equally unhelpful animal control official told him. Matt wondered what his job actually entailed if this were true. And if there is anything out there, then it's doing me a favour. Do you know how many rats we have here? The man added. Matt wasn't sure if he was joking or not. He had always thought that rats died out in the plague. He decided to add that to his ever-growing list of facts that needed fact-checking. Matt nearly knocked Sarah over as she skidded to an abrupt stop. Are you okay? She asked, checking over her shoulder. She knew it wouldn't be far behind. I found the dog, Matt replied shakily. They had only had Tracker for a short while, but Matt had already taken to the latest addition to their family. He thought he might have been the first new addition of many. Sarah looked down in disgust at the bloody remains. It looked more like roadkill now. Where's its face? She said as her eyes darted frantically around the various chunks of flesh on the blood-splattered path. Matt ignored the question as he tried to wipe an array of innards from the sole of his foot. A howl echoed out behind them. Matt looked once more at the bloody corpse below him before grabbing Sarah's hand. He didn't want them to end up like that. You'd rather replace Coco with some random dog than help me look for him, Sarah had shouted. Matt hadn't expected her to be so angry, but in hindsight he should have been more forthcoming about his plan before introducing her to their new pet. Tracker was an ex-police dog, too old for service and in desperate need of a home. Matt didn't even have to pay for him. I thought he could help us look for Coco, and then maybe after we find him he could be his older brother, Matt said before playfully adding, that's unless you think Coco is a pet racist. 
poor tracker had been the first to die on that cold October night. Shortly after the trio entered through the metal gates, they saw the beast. Fight or flight kicked in, with even the dog choosing the latter. But the monster was too quick for their elderly four-legged friend. They hadn't seen his fate, but his howl, followed by that yelp and finally a deadly silence, painted a picture that no one would have wanted to have seen. They could finally make out the metal gates in front of them once more. With escape almost in their grasp, Sarah suddenly froze in her tracks. What is it? Matt asked. Before seeing a procession of hooded figures, somberly walking in their direction. They could be here to help, Matt said optimistically. Trust me, they're not. They're working with the beast, Sarah replied, before pushing open the old rusted cast iron door of the only building in sight, a building that she really wanted to avoid. With an ominous creak, the door slowly opened. It appeared Matt wasn't the only one who had done their research. If you looked hard enough through the history of Old Mill Lane, you'd find all sorts of urban legends. But nearly everything was rumour or hearsay. No matter how hard Sarah tried, she couldn't prove any of it. That is apart from one nefarious incident that happened some 30 years ago, in the very room that the pair had just found themselves. We've got to hide, Matt implored as the torchlight grew nearer. But as the door creaked open once more, he feared it was already too late. They're here, said Sarah as she ducked down into cover alongside him. Hello? Came a husky voice. Sarah looked towards the door, not to be greeted by a monster or a baying mob, but by an older woman. Despite looking like she was only in her late forties, she had near white hair. The woman nearly jumped out of her skin when she saw Sarah and Matt looking up at her. You shouldn't be here, she said, as she slid a thick metal bar across the door, sealing it shut. Before Sarah or Matt could explain their presence, the beast slammed against the metal door, almost sending the woman to the floor. There's another way out of here, Sarah shouted, as the monster began to howl from beyond the door. The new turn of events seemed too much for the white-haired woman to take. Wait, who are you, and why do you know about this place? She asked frantically. Matt felt as confused as she was. Who was this woman? When did his girlfriend suddenly become an expert on Old Mill Lane, and what was the monster that howled from beyond the door? Sarah didn't want to explain. Matt was easily spooked and the night had already taken its toll, but given the turn of events she felt she had no other choice. As if daring her to go on, the monster howled from beyond the door. I did some research on this place, Sarah said as the other two listened intently. Moonlight poured through the window, presenting Sarah with her own personal spotlight as she stepped into the middle of the room. And again, the monster howled from beyond the door. There was an incident here. A girl was burned alive by a cult. In this room, she died alone and the cult was never found. They worshipped. Her words trailed off. Once more, the monster howled from beyond the door. Sarah followed Matt's eyes to see what he was looking at. It was the floor where she was standing. 
She hadn't noticed when she entered the room, but she now stood dead center in the middle of a blackened circle. The two of them stared at it in silence. That's not quite right, the woman said. Sarah looked up at her just in time to see a smile creep onto her face. She wasn't alone. There were three girls there that night. Sarah and Matt exchanged worried glances. Neither knew what she was going to say, but after everything they had seen and heard that night, they knew that no one in their right mind would have smiled. The woman continued. One was burned alive. One welcomed back the wolf god. And the other one, well, I've always been obsessed with the macabre. A solitary tear ran down Sarah's cheek. Matt, she said softly, as if scared she would be heard. When did the monster stop howling? But it was the white-haired woman who responded. Remember the other way out you mentioned? She said before pointing at the darkness behind them. The wolf god stepped forward into the moonlight, and this time from inside the building, let out an unnatural howl. Sarah and Matt clung to one another as the hulking beast stalked slowly towards them. This time, there would be no escape from the beast. As the couple faced their final moments, they knew there was a good reason there was no evidence, witnesses or survivors of the wolf god of Old Mill Lane. Its hunger was inescapable. And it was very hungry. Thank you for joining us once again for another horror from Old Mill Lane. Please check out our socials over at MN Macabre Pod for more content from this story. I'm going to try and convert some of the original video into an upload-friendly format to share with you, along with some impressions from eyewitnesses who claim to have seen the animal said to stalk the woodlands surrounding Bramshire. I might even see if I can dig out that old MySpace group. If you enjoyed what you've been listening to this week, please consider leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice. And I sincerely hope you'll all join me for our grand finale for Halloween 2020 and a final chapter of horror from Old Mill Lane. Until tomorrow, my beloved banshees, don't let the bed bugs, or anything else for that matter, bite. Good night. The Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane is produced by Hawk and Cleaver and stars Emily Booth. Editing by Carl Hughes and directed by me, Andy Conduit-Turner. Tonight's episode, The Investigation of Old Mill Lane, was written by Mike Garley and performed by Alexandra Elroy. Music is from Sergei Cheremisinov and sound effects from freesound.org and zapsplat.com. The entire series is produced under a Creative Commons license, which of course means don't sell it, don't edit it, you can go ahead and share that as much as you'd like. Thanks and join us again next time.